Let's take our Bibles now. Let's go to Revelation 13. Does anyone want a handout that doesn't have one? If you do, uh, raise your hand up. And does anyone have a handout that they don't want? You can raise that handout up. Someone will come by and take it from you and, uh, and give it to someone who can, uh, who can use it. Uh, we're in Revelation 13. And, uh, you know, I, I appreciate that testimony. It reminds me of the fact that I know who is going to get saved and who, does, who is not going to get saved. I can tell just by looking at them. You ever find yourself feeling that way? And the truth is, you're not God. I'm not God. I don't know. Saul was killing Christians. He was on his way to kill Christians the day that he met Jesus Christ. And so it could be the person who's having the worst day. And something that he mentioned, I think, might be instructive for us. The people that you're around who irritate you the most, could it be that I was trying to help my dad uh, dig some posts for a new fence, and there's the old concrete down there. We had this big bar and you just hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it. Nothing, 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 nothing. Crack. And that's the way it is. Sometimes you're, you feel like you're the one getting hit. It feels painful. It's difficult. This person's irritating. Uh, maybe you've ruined your testimony at work with someone. Uh, maybe you go back to them and apologize you know, or maybe you just come in with a, a smile, maybe a cup of coffee. Uh, maybe you say hi to him instead of looking at the ceiling tiles. Um, that that type of thing, it's it's just going to wear it's going to wear away that stone. And so, thank you, brother Ron, for that. Okay, Revelation thirteen. We're going to talk about the beast taking over. The beast taking over. This guy is something else. He is something else. Revelation 13, 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. So to put things simply here, uh, verse 1 is speaking of a man, a head, a leader. And those are seven heads, ten horns, speaking of human kings. Verse 2, And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And we're going through this quickly with little, little interest here, only because we've done this several times. I think this is the third time we've talked about this. Verse 2 simply uh, speaks of a kingdom. It's the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of the dragon. And it's led by a human beast. Verse 1, the beast... And this kingdom is, a, is a, a European alliance, a mixture of the four world powers of the times of the Gentiles. The lion, the bear, the leopard, and the beast. And all these world powers are the kingdom of Satan. You have uh, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and, uh, and then be- the beast, which is Rome revived. <clears throat> all right, now... We're going to go uh, into verse number three. The beast is wounded. Verse three, and I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death. One of his, that is the beast, and one of his heads. So you have two things. Notice, a beast, and it says his, his, his. And then it says one of his heads. So this is, uh, this is what uh, we call, the, this is the beast that human leader, he's one of those heads, but he is the beast, the conglomerate, this behemoth. Uh, the word behemoth is, uh, it's just a transmigrated word over from Hebrew. And it means beasts, multiple, plural. You see that in the, uh, the book of Job where he talks about behemoth. It's not uh, a dinosaur. Um, it's talking about a, a conglomerate or a hybrid beast. It has verse number one or two, I'm sorry, verse two, has all these different characteristics of different beasts. And it is, it's, a, it's a mashup, so to speak. And, and here, this beast, his, one of his heads was wounded to death. Now notice the phrase, as it were. Uh, that phrase, as it were, is used in Revelation 12 times. And the reason I mention that is because, notice the phrase says, as it were, wounded to death. And that's something to, to note. But let's say quickly, the beast here, he's not known to the world at first. He's just a leader. And then, somehow or other, there's some type of an assassination attempt 
and uh, it, it involves a blow to the head. And then he approaches death at that point. Hold your place in Revelation. Look at Zechariah. Go back to your left. Um, if you don't know where Zechariah is, you're probably joining many of us here tonight. You go to Matthew and go left. Zechariah, look at verse 11. He calls, he's, he's speaking here about uh, an evil shepherd. He calls him a foolish shepherd in verse 15. And a shepherd who is going to, in verse 16, eat the flesh of the fat and tear their claws in pieces. So rather than protecting the sheep, he's eating the sheep. And verse 17, woe to the idol, I-D-O-L, the idol shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean dried up and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. And uh, there's an indication here that this beast is almost assassinated. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, but notice where he's hit. It's on his arm and his right hand. And it seems that there's, there's an indication then that perhaps in respect or in honor, in memory of what happened to the beast, now there's a mark that people take in their forehead or in their right uh, hand and in memory of what happened to in him in this assassination attempt. And uh, so, but notice here that, that he has this this attack, this physical attack. Back in Revelation 13, we find a couple of possibilities. Number one, the possibility is the beast doesn't die, but is mortally wounded. And uh, the, the reasons would, the reason for that would be, number one, it doesn't say that he died. It says, as it were, wounded to death. Okay, now, did he die or did he not die? Well, uh, either way, you've got to think from this angle, if, if, if he dies, then that means the false prophet raises him from the dead. And uh, God is the one that raises the dead. God's the one that gives life. However, the devil is the counterfeiter. So the possibility is he wounded, he's mortally wounded, but he doesn't die. Another possibility is that he is slain, he is killed with a head wound, similar to these folks. Uh, Judas, um, Goliath, Ahithophel, Absalom. And uh, remember, Judas uh, went and hung himself, and then he fell down, and his bowels gushed out. It was a, a two-part, two stages to his death. And that's where... Um, and the other possibility would then hit these buried, and then he ascends out of the bottomless pit as Satan incarnate. And there's not as much to commend that second view as far as Satan inhabiting the beast himself. There's not as much as I thought that there were that there was. Uh, there are types of that certainly when Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, but uh, but as we'll see next week, Judas Iscariot seems to be more a type of the false prophet than of the beast. And we'll see. I'll give you about twelve different reasons for that. But uh, either way, you'll find as you get into the book of Revelation that you have to have a theory to get started. But don't worship your theory because it's about to get upended. <laughs> If you really want to know the Bible, you have to let God be true and every man a liar. That doesn't mean that the, the words aren't true. It just means there are other words than the ones that you're thinking about. Uh, I've had, as I've mentioned many times, as we've gone through this study, I've had a lot of my good theories kind of destroyed. But that's why I give you a couple possibilities there. Either way, this beast, is his healing is seen as miraculous. There's a couple types of the beast uh, we've looked at. Look at these. I thought about these today. Um, you've got the man in power as the beast and his evil advisor as the false prophet. And he has two stages of death. He's wounded by a sword. And then he's cast into the lake of fire. And by the way, when that happens, he's gone. You don't have to worry about that. He's going to be cast into the, into the lake of fire. And when he is, that, that it's curtains for him. Um, but, and by the way, Satan is cast into the lake of fire um, after that thousand years where the beast and the false prophet are. So that's the reason for the distinction between Satan 
the beast, and the false prophet. See what I'm saying? Three different ones. Satan gets cast in. These two guys are already there. And so that's where the beast uh, is separate. Notice, this, notice Saul, King Saul. He had an evil advisor, the witch at Endor. You remember that? And he had two stages of death. He was wounded by the archers, and then he committed suicide. He fell on his own sword. Um, man, there's so many connections. I, I, if you ever get into Saul in the Old Testament and Saul in the New, why is he called Saul? Well, God ends up changing the narrative there in, in the book of Acts. Luke begins to call him Paul, but I think he left his name Saul in there, even though it, necess- it doesn't say that his name was changed. It was just two versions of his name. Both were, were common names at the time. And I think it's because God wants us to see the similarities between Saul, King Saul and uh, the apostle Paul. Very interesting. Um, and uh, we won't have to take the time to go into it. Look at Absalom. Absalom also was a man in power who, uh, in a sense, uh, Saul, in a sense, he was given this power, but it was illegitimate in the sense that God never intended for him to be king. He made him king after the people rejected God. He made him king. So it not entirely, but in a little bit of a sense, there's, there's a, a, an illegitimacy there. Absalom for sure was illegitimate. And uh, in the sense of, of his reign, of his authority, he was not supposed to be the king. And yet he, he also had an evil advisor named Ahithophel. And he had two stages of death. He, he got his hair hung in a tree, in an oak tree. And then he had darts thrown through his heart by Joab. So just something to, to, uh, to consider. There's, of course, many other, uh, many other examples of that. But let's go to verse number four. Let's talk about the beast worshipped. Back to Revelation 13. Look at verse number four. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So this verse is the evidence for the one world religious system. You hear people talk about the one world religion? Uh, that's, this, is, this is really where it's coming from. Because you'll find in this passage that the beast is given power over all the kindreds, languages, peoples, uh, and tongues. And, and here, they are worshiping the dragon. So the beast apparently is... Um, is somehow pointing people to the dragon, or perhaps the people don't know that they're worshiping the dragon. But, but Scripture records, the Lord knows, they're actually worshiping the dragon. And, and again, that shows us where uh, when people are worshiping idols, there's actually a spiritual entity behind that idol, 1 Corinthians tells us. And, so, and that's what they're doing here. This is why we oppose ecumenicism. Uh, you'll hear sometimes of the ecumenical movement, which is basically, why don't we get along with the Presbyterians and, and why don't we get along with the Pentecostals? And what's the big fat hairy deal about the Catholics? We believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what's the problem? And that idea, let's, let's pull together. Um, today you have what people have called uh, evangelical orthodoxy, such as uh, Calvinism considered orthodox, and you have Roman Catholics who both revere a man named Augustine. They both trace their teaching, much of their theology, back to that same man. And there's a pulling together. You hear the house of Abraham over there in the Middle East, and how it has the Jews and the Christians and the Muslims all in a similar place. There's a mosque, there's a synagogue, there's a church. And the idea is, let's all come together. Why? All religions say you should be good. And so there's, let's, instead of looking at distinctions, why don't we pull together and, 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 and look at what we have in common? Well, and I understand that, but isn't it true that as humans we all have breathing in common? We all have food in common, we have to eat. We all sleep. There's a lot of things that we as humans have in common. But, but the Lord says, the words that I speak into you, they are spirit and they are life. What did Jesus give us? He gave us words. And those words are written down, of course. And when we look at them, we can see he warns us against doing certain things. He, he encourages us and commands us to do other things. So it's not a matter of what you think or what I think or what we feel. It's a matter of what does he say. 
So if you haven't ever had a conversation, even with yourself, about how the person that you're talking to or the person that, that is saying, hey, let's all get along. No, they're wrong. Why? Not because I, they're not Baptists. That's not why they're wrong. That's way down the line. Why, why would Baptists be considered right? Because we're right. Who says we're right? Nobody says we're right. I'll tell you, what we, what we base our beliefs on are the words of God. And you know why people want to have hazy, big, primary color doctrines? Because they don't read their Bible. That's why they want everything to just get along. You know, that's, that's like little kids in the nursery. You give them a little, you know those little uh, different uh, holes they put different shaped blocks into? Remember those? You know, it's very simple. There's only four of them. That, and that, and that, and that. That's great for a one-year-old, a two-year-old, however old they are. But if you're 10 years old and you're proud of yourself because you can put the right shaped blocks in the holes, there's something wrong with you. I mean, if, if you're still proud of yourself because you know that Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again, that, you can't get to heaven without that. But why is a Roman Catholic who believes the same exact thing, why is she wrong? She's not wrong because she's not Baptist. You need to know why, what's wrong with that. And you think, well, well uh, maybe they're right. Well, again, it doesn't matter what the Catholic Church teaches. It matters what the Bible says. And when you start digging into it, you start seeing the difference. Oh, that's why, that's why we don't do that. See what I'm saying? So you have to know that. If you haven't had a good... Um, Actually, the Bible says conversation in a while. You need to ask God to give you one. Because what that'll do is keep you sharp and help you realize that, yeah, the person next door may have the nicest lawn on, on, uh, in the neighborhood. They might have really nice kids and they might have a nicer car than you, but are they saved? Right? The person that you're working with may be the nicest person, but is she saved? It's not about we just get along together. And, and that's why we push back against the one world religion. Because the one world religion, one thing for sure they're going to do is they're going to say Jesus Christ is not God in the flesh. That's exactly what the spirit of Antichrist is. The spirit of Antichrist says we all get along together. Let's just not bring Jesus as God into it. It's amazing. So they're going to have lots of worship, and there's going to be, as we move forward, uh, this idea of atheism is going to go out the door. It's going, to go, it's going to go bye-bye. Why? I mean, there'll still always be atheists, don't get me wrong, but the reason is man was created with a need to worship something. That's why you don't go, in, you go into history and, and go into these obscure civilizations and find atheists. Have we evolved to the point that we don't need God? Well, if that's the case, the great utopia for atheists completely, it, it was actually destroyed by people who demanded the right to worship, to worship something other than the state. The USSR was destroyed from within by people who demanded worship. Why? You can't survive as a human without worshiping a whatever divinity, deity above you. Why? Because you know you stink. Something's got to be better than me. Otherwise, I don't even want to be on this planet. And so here, they're finding somebody to worship. So the people, they, they, they get excited about this beast's recovery, and they bow down to him, and they worship Satan who healed him. And by the way, that has been Satan's goal from the beginning of time. To receive worship. And here it's accomplished on a worldwide scale. So he's positioned himself now as the greatest ruler in world history. They've got this resurrection thing that they have affected. And now you've got, in a sense, you've got the satanic father and son. Remember, notice it says they worship the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. So now they have this, this satanic trinity that, that it's like, you know, that stuff was, that's 
the, remember, you guys remember the church way back when, when those, all those religious people were talking about it? That was fake. Did you ever, you ever go to church and watch someone get healed, get raised from the dead? Every time I went to church, it was just money, 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 money. And it was people looking at what you're wearing or, you know, what, what, what you're not doing and how you're not, what you're supposed to be. That's all it was. This is what I'm talking about. This is the real deal. This is right where people actually are living. This is awesome. This is the kind of the conversations they're going to be having about this. The, uh, finally, we found something that, that raises and, and ennobles mankind. We're sick and tired of all this. You're not good enough. And by the way, this whole concept, idea of man becoming a god is exactly what Satan tempted Eve with way back when. It's the same thing that Joseph Smith said, that as God is, uh, man can become. As God, as man is, God once was, as God is, man can become. What is that? That's Genesis chapter 3. Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You can get better and better and better. That's why you got to watch the self-help thing. Anything that says self Be careful with it. Be careful with it. Why? We're not called to self-control. We're called to spirit control. Why? Well, I think I just hate myself. That's my problem. The Bible says no man ever yet hated his own flesh. So you must be trying to get something out of other people by claiming to hate yourself. Or you may just be mad at the world because you can't get what you want. But the Lord says, you don't hate yourself. Your problem is not low self-esteem. Your problem is low God-esteem. That's what the problem is. The world has rejected Jesus Christ through the ages. Now the Lord rejects them, and he allows the world to be deluded, deceived, and they're going to worship Satan himself. Look at verse number 8. It says, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. All that dwell upon the earth. Now we understand, all does not include the Jewish remnant or the people who refuse to take the mark or the name and so forth. But sinful man has always chosen a beast over God. You give him a choice between listening to God or listening to a beast, they'll take the beast. As long as that beast promises to give them what they want. So you notice, he, when, when Satan came... Uh, to tempt Jesus Christ in the wilderness in Matthew 4. He said, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship thee. That's what Satan always does. You know, the difference we'll find here in in, the difference between worshiping Satan, the dragon, or worshiping ourselves and worshiping God is that Satan promises to give you all of these things if you will worship him. God does not promise to give you all of these things in the immediate. He tells you that he's got all kinds of nice stuff for you in heaven. He's got some really great ideas that you're going to love, but right now, things can really stink. And some of you are, you're, you're tired, you're lonely, you're worn out, and sometimes we even question God. Why? You know what the Lord says? Worship me first, and I'll reward you later. Satan says... I'll give you what you want right now if you'll worship me. I love that about God. I love that about God. Why? Trust me. Trust me. Instead of, Mom, if you really love me, you'll give me what I want right now. No, you're not going to define my love for you by your lusts. No, I, will, I love you. Trust me. That's the hardest thing in relationships, isn't it? Learning to trust that person. When trust gets hurt in a relationship, it can take a long time to, to come back to that. But you'll never have much of a relationship. You won't have any r- real relationship with someone without trust. You've got to learn to trust. And here, these people don't have to trust. Why? They saw that beast, and he, got, he was, I mean, that boy was dead, and he got up. That's my God. I want to see. You know what's so interesting about that? When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, there was a whole lot of people that didn't believe him. Why? I'll tell you why. He did not come and he did not bring with him a new house and a new car and food. 
Jesus used those things, why? He cared about people, but he didn't use them to draw a crowd. He fed people. They came for healing. Some of them came for the loaves and the fishes. And what did he do? He used that to drive the word of God deeper into their heart. The devil has to keep it real shallow and real easy because we don't want to lose anybody. We don't want to lose anybody. Listen, we've got to be careful in the, in, in, in the Christian world in which we live that we're not more afraid of attrition than we are of being apostate. We're more afraid of losing people than we are of being faithful to the words of the Bible. You don't have to chase people out with a mean spirit, but you also have to bend over backwards and plead and beg, please, we'll change everything if you'll just stay. Please. It's a bunch of nonsense. That's a good way to raise up a bunch of big, fat, baby Christians. And, 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 and uh, you know, if I, you, if I offended you by the word fat, you understand I'm not talking about you. All right. We've got to get off that train. Let's go back. Now let's talk about the beast's words. Revelation 13, 5. Uh, the beast's words. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things. Does that sound like anybody you know? There was given unto her, unto him, a mouth speaking great things. Well, there was. This is, the, this is uh, speaking of the false prophet. Uh, there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. Blaspheme his name and his tabernacle. Well, the tabernacle of, of God is in heaven, right? You have the temple there, but it's the tabernacle of God is in heaven. And when the new Jerusalem comes down, that's when it is said that the, the tabernacle of God is now with men. So what's he doing? He is saying, there ain't, he's saying that supposed God that you worshipped is not the real God. He demands too much of you. He's capricious. He's an angry God. I am a loving God. I love life. And I, I, love, uh, I love you. And I love your kids, and I love your money, and I really love your worship. But he's blaspheming against the name of God. We find in Matthew 26, 65, there were certain priests that were accusing Christ of blaspheming God. And, and that's, that's, notice the, the delusion here and the hypocrisy. They accused Christ of blasphemy, and yet here... The, the, the world is approving true blasphemy by the Antichrist. But he continues. He continues. Why? It was given unto him, power was given unto him to continue. Continue. When you don't think he's going to keep going, he keeps going. When you think, surely, God, there's, it's got to be enough. It's got to be the end. No, he continues. 40 and two months. And 42 months is 12 months. If you take 12 months in a year, three and a half years. That's where uh, it speaks of in the scripture in Daniel 7.25, a time and times and the dividing of time. And in another place it says, uh, it says 1260 days, three score days. So they're all the same. Uh, One year plus two years plus a half a year, 1260 days or 42 months. Three and a half years is what we're talking about. But I want, you to, I want you to look real quick at something in Job chapter 42, because I, I, I think there's a lot to be found and to help you understand in the book of Job regarding the tribulation. Look at Job chapter 42. How many months is he allowed to continue? How many months? 42 months. Now look at this. And this is, the, this is at the end of the book. Verse 7, it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right. So here we have at the end of 42, at the end here in, in, in chapter 42, we have the Lord rebuking 
These people who have been speaking against God. They've been speaking against God. You say, well, some of that stuff sounded pretty good, what they were saying. But the Lord rebukes them. And he's mad at them. That's why you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful as you read where Eliphaz and Bildad and these men, they're speaking. The Lord never, he never rebukes Elihu. But here in chapter 42, he says, those guys, that's why whenever you read it, it just doesn't ring true. Their accusations against Job. The Lord said, they didn't say the right thing about me. And so you can understand that the delusion that is sent to the people in tribulation is going to sound really good. It's going to sound authoritative. And and church, if I can encourage you to do anything, be careful of people who say things that are wrong very definitively and dynamically. Because just because I say something like this doesn't make it right. If I say something like this, it doesn't make it right. He has, he's given a mouth and he speaks great things. That's why you listen to guys, the multitude of words that one hath not sent. You listen to these radio talk shows for three hours. You know the reason why they're hired? Because those guys know how to talk for three hours even though they're hung over. Even though they're strung out on some kind of illicit substance. Even though they, in many cases are not making any sense, they're still making sense. They have the ability to sound interesting when they're talking nonsense. How do I know this? I'm a preacher. As a guy guy, uh, said one time, I'm a dialectician. I I know how to say, I've been on the radio. And all you have to do is mix it up a little bit, add a little bit of, you know, just different uh, adjectives in there, a little bit of pacing and all that. you got to be careful. Listen, it, whoever you listen to, we're all listening to someone. We're all, even if it's no one but, more, but, but the voice in your head, we're all listening to someone. And we've got to be careful because just because something sounds right doesn't mean it's right. Well, I like so-and-so. He sounds good. Well, he may sound good. How would you know if it's good or not? Search the scriptures to see whether those things are so. That's what the Brians did. The Brians did that. Before they believed on Jesus Christ as Messiah, they did not accept him. They went back and they searched the scriptures to see if the things that Paul was saying were actually true. And guess what? They were. That's why some people say, I just love anything he says. I love everything he says. Well, just be careful. Be careful. Be careful of me. The good thing is, I don't have guru-esque qualities. <laughs> That's the good thing about me. Nobody's like, oh man, I really love your preaching. <laughs> Amen. Maybe I, just, maybe I just say that to make myself feel better. <laughs> Look at, uh, let's go back to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13, look at verse 7. It's, uh, now we'll get down to the beast's war. The beast's war. Verse 7, it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Okay, this is the evidence for why Christians predict a one world government. Because this, not only is the, the whole world worshiping him, the whole earth, verse 8, but he has power over all of the earth. Look, if you would, at Revelation chapter 7. Now, we won't take the time tonight, but you go to Daniel 7, and you can find more details about this satanic vendetta on the saints. And, and, and there you find the three and one half years, they continue until the time when the saints shall possess the kingdom. And that is the millennium. Right? So, but, but this right here, this power was given unto him uh, 42 months. Power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. That's what it's talking about. Look at chapter 7, verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number... Of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. The only thing that's different between this and verse uh, 13, 7 is it's missing people in 13. 
But you've got nations, kindreds, people, and tongues stood where? Before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Look at verse 14. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. He said, Who are they? Where did these people come from? Thou knowest, he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes. So when we're looking at chapter 13, that the beast makes war with the saints, he is killing them left and right. And they're just... They're, they're, they're packed in on, and packing the train to heaven. They're just going, 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 going. They're leaving this earth like crazy. So he has this power, and, and, and we are concerned, we ought to be concerned about this one world government. Uh, there's been a push here in the last few years to nationalism. And you've watched how uh, our, our previous president talked about make America great again. And it just fritzes people out of their minds. That's selfish. It's selfish. But you notice how Brexit, how they pulled out of the European Union, and how they want to stand alone with an independent nation. Uh, and so these things, are the wicked are like the troubled sea. They go back and they go forth and they go up and they go down. Our desire should not be, well, let's all just get together. Well, that's fine. Don't worry. We are all going to get together around the way, the truth, and the life. But what unites us now? Well, everybody's got to eat. Well, how much? What food? Right? Well, we, everybody's got to breathe. Well, what kind of air? What should we let in the air? What's okay? We got, these are the things that divide us as much as unite us. And so when we say we're, we, we stand against a one-world government, it's because the one-world government can only be run by the man, Christ Jesus. Everybody else is woefully inadequate to run the world. And you think about it. Look at who we have in government. And here's the thing. Jesus Christ, when he comes, he will not make one mistake. But even still, when the devil is loosed for a season, people will rally against the greatest leader the world has ever known. I mean, you've got babies that are 100, the children that are 100 years old. They're living to hundreds of years old, and people are complaining. It just goes to show you that the heart of man is corrupt, and it cannot be controlled. It has, it has to be destroyed. And uh, the Bible says that when, when we are crucified with Christ, we're buried, our old man is destroyed. Spiritually speaking, it has no control over you or I. It's the only hope for it is to be crucified with Jesus Christ. Otherwise, that proud rebel soul is going to be thrown into hell. And so the best thing to do is surrender. But anyhow, let's get back to this. Uh, let's go back to chapter 13, verse number 8. Notice here, we're, we're coming in on the, uh, on the conclusion. We won't talk long about this, but it says again, All that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of, the, of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Notice, the book of, of life of the Lamb is, is mentioned throughout the scripture. We won't take the time, but it was known to Moses in Exodus 32. Uh, Daniel, when it talks about that time of trouble, it says, and at that time when Michael stands up to deliver Israel from the time of trouble, it says, and at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. So there's a connection there with this book. Who's in the book? And uh, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, the Bible tells us in First Peter, he was foreordained before the foundation of the world. The lamb without blemish and without spot. In other words, he, he was... He was going to be the cure for sin before God ever gave man a free will. Jesus Christ, our, why? He knew what would happen. He knew what would happen. You say, well, how could he know without controlling it all? Just the same way that you know what your toddler is going to do if there's cookies on the table. You know what's going to happen. God knew what was going to happen. And so God said, Let's send one of us down there, Jesus Christ. And he went down. He was the lamb slain before the thing ever got started. He was ready to roll. The only other, the only other way that you can say that uh, is to deny the fact that he was the lamb slain. Some people try to say, well, he was slain from the foundation of the world, not before. Okay, 
Yes, that's right. When God created man and gave man a free will, it was in the package that Jesus Christ will be the answer for the salvation of man. And that was agreed upon. Um, it, it's, it's just like saying, hey, if I die first, this is what I want you to do. If you die first, this is what I want. This is what's going to happen. It's knowing ahead of time that this is. Uh, and by the way, Jesus was not slain. But in God's mind, it was already a foregone conclusion. Abraham received his son from the dead in a figure. I mean, Abraham in his mind, Isaac was already dead. And when he came off that altar, he was resurrected in Abraham's mind. Well, physically, it had never even happened. But in his mind, it happened. He was prepared. Now, the difference is God, the father, not only was prepared, he followed through on it. There was no angel that stayed the hand uh, of, of God the Father as he uh, poured his wrath on his only son. Man, why would you hate a God like that? That would, that would go to that much trouble to, to help you get to heaven by, by pouring his wrath at other people on an innocent victim. Right? He was truly an innocent victim. So the foundation of the world. Look, look at verse number nine. If any, man have, have any, if any man have an ear, let him hear. Now, that's something that you hear a lot in the Gospels. And it's another indication that the context of the Gospels is not the church age. You've got to be careful with that. When you try to take the, the Gospels, there's a lot of stuff that's in there, particularly John. Particularly John. But remember, John is at the end of the church age right, writing, right? How many books of the Bible had been written by the time John the Apostle wrote his gospel. All of them, except for what John wrote. So when you read John and you see all of these things, there's an indication, there's a lot of light that's there, and, and we, we can see that, but it's not the same when you get in Matthew and in Mark and Luke. So you have to just be careful with that. It's all the same God, but he reveals himself in different ways, in different places. And, 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 and what happens is if you don't make that distinction, you're going to end up trying to find doctrine in Matthew and you're going to get messed up. Particularly Matthew 24, he that shall endure to the end shall be saved. He that shall endure to the end of what? Saved from what? Right? So you have to be careful. That's why we call it rightly dividing. This goes over here. This goes over here. Well, I just believe a God. Okay, you can believe a big God that does everything all at once and does all the different things that are different all at the same time. But you're going to have a hard time really understanding the Bible. If God always does the same thing all the time, then you have to, you're going to have a hard time. It's just, it's just a fact. And wh what we end up doing is we try to, we, instead of taking the Bible at face value, now we have to say, well, what he really meant was this. Now we're, we're straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. We're stretching and we're resting the Bible to prove what? Who cares what I believe? At the end of the day, who cares what I was taught? What saith the scriptures? Amen. That's really what it comes down to. And, and in some ways, that can be discouraging for a while, but it's freeing when you realize God's not going to hold me accountable to make sure I always believe what everybody always taught me. He's going to hold me accountable for this right here. And I may let go of this or let go of that. It's okay. You can grow. You can learn. You can stretch. You're not going to get in trouble with God. If you're doing, he said, study to show thyself approved unto God. Not approved unto my boys. Whoever they, my boys might be, my posse, right? Okay. I don't have a posse anymore. I had, I had five kids and now I have one. Okay, now, so, so just if any man have, notice too, um, verse 10, he that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Remember where else he said that? In the Gospels. Killeth with the sword, remember? With, when, when, when Peter? Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. So this is the, the two things here. Um, but I want to show you several things. Number one, Job. Job's a type of Israel. Because he was in captivity. In Job 42.10, the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Again, another indication that lines up the book of Job with the tribulation. He, he, notice here, he's not saying 
uh, what he, I'll say what he is saying. He's saying there are probably some Jews who think, well, like Saul, I'm committing people to prison, so I'm immune. But it's, it's like the people that were, what do they call them in the uh, concentration camps of Nazi Germany? The, the Jews who actually helped the Nazis uh, direct people into you know, the showers and actually helped you know, control them. Those people died too. They weren't immune. They were immune for a time. He that goeth in, leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. So even the extreme or the people who are on the fringe who think they're going to be safe are not going to be safe. So Job is a type of Israel in captivity. Uh, secondly, Job, a type of the Jewish remnant, survived death by the sword. Remember in Job chapter 1, the Sabaeans came, they killed the servants with the sword. And, and the servant said, I alone am escaped alone. And I, I alone, I only am escaped alone. And then chapter, in chapter 1, verse 17, Chaldeans also came and killed a bunch of the servants. And he said, I only am escaped alone. All right, so here we have a type of the Jewish remnant surviving the death by the sword. There's a few. Uh, in other words, at this point, it ain't going to be preppers that are standing up. It's going to be people running and hiding. If you lift a sword, you're going to get killed. You hide like a, like a, a crayfish under the rock. That's where you're going to be during this time frame. And there are going to be people that come through the tribulation that are not saved, that are not Jews. They're just going to be survivors. Just like, you know, on, on the, when the Japanese surrendered, years and years later, there'd be a Japanese soldier come out with his gun up in the air. Right? They survive. Well, there's going to be some people like that. But if you take up a sword, you're going to be killed. And then thirdly, the Jewish remnant exercises the patience and faith of Job. Look at chapter 14. And you see verse 12 of Revelation where he says, here is the patience of the saints. He says it in 1310. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Now the Bible tells us in James 5, ye have heard of the patience of Job. As patient as Job. So you have Job again, a type of this tribulation saint, this remnant who is very patient, but where did he exercise faith? Where did he put faith? Remember he said, though he slay me, yet will I what? Trust him. That's what faith is. Faith is not just saying, well, I guess I'll just hang on. Faith is, I'll hang on and trust in God. Just be, I, I don't know, this, from a devotional standpoint, we're not going through the tribulation right now. And thank God, as believers, we will not be going through the tribulation. But we, you're going through, in the world, ye shall have tribulation. There's going to be something that, that has a way of beating down on you. And if you can keep those two things, patience and faith. You see, if it's just patience, your skin gets dry. You get like a piece of beef jerky. Faith keeps you hydrated. You take the water of the word in and you're pliable and you are yielded to God. You're still alive. You still have some joy. So it's not just patience. It's patience and faith that you have to exercise. And that's what these folks do. Patience and faith. Now, here's the end. Why are we studying the beast so intently? Why does it even matter? I thought that um, you, may, you may think you're the only one that thinks that. But uh, I have these thoughts. Number one, because it is a prophecy about real events that will take place. If it's important to God, it should be important to us. Number two, because it shows that Jesus Christ knows exactly what Satan is going to do. He has already foretold this is what is going to happen. How powerful is God? He doesn't make things happen. He tells us and the world this is what's going to happen. And then thirdly, because it helps us to understand Satan's device. It says we're not ignorant of his devices. What is a device? It's a plan. It's a plan. It, the scripture talks about devising devices. Planning plans. Right? What's his plan? His plan is to turn believers into self-serving beasts. 
That's what he wants to do. We looked at Jude last time around and we saw how these are brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. Y'all, we have to be careful that we don't turn into beasts. What do beasts care about? They care about protecting their own turf. They care about feeding their face. And they care about procreating. Those are the things that beasts care about. Protection, self-preservation. They care about eating. And they care about eat, drink, and be merry. That's what a beast does. And isn't isn't it ironic that the whole thing went off the rails in Genesis 3 when a beast is more subtle than any beast of the field, started talking to Eve, and Eve listened and said, oh, this is an alternative, alternative lifestyle. I can choose a different path and get what I want. I don't know who you're listening to, but the whole thing is going to wind up with another beast spewing lies and getting the whole world to worship him. So you got to think about this in your life. What lies are you listening to? What psychologist nonsense are you listening to? What radio talk show? What novelist? What, what author are you, are you? What YouTube channel are you? What Facebook posts are you believing? You got to be careful. If it's pushing you towards get more of your own and protect it, Entertainment and and pleasure, sex, those things are all characteristics of the beast. Self-serving. It's the exact opposite of Jesus Christ. He died to protect others. He forsook all the pleasure of his kingdom so that you, you and I, through his poverty, could become rich. His concern is, he said he would die in order to bring many sons to glory. It's the opposite of what the beast offers. We've got to be careful of it. And, uh, and I want you to think about it. I, I've, I've been recently uh, having some thoughts, uh, reading a book that's, wow, wow, I didn't know I thought that. I didn't know I thought that. You've got, to, you've got to challenge your thinking. And if you will do that, God will help you to avoid becoming like Nebuchadnezzar, this beast of the field. And, uh, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, he changed. He went from I, King Nebuchadnezzar. And after those 12 months were over, you know what he said? I, Nebuchadnezzar. I'm nothing special. I don't have a title. I don't have a throne. I've got nothing to offer myself before God. I'm humble before God. And if you'll stay humble before God, he'll keep you from becoming a beast. 